Part six of My School Days by E. Nesbitt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part six. She was the most beautiful person in the world. She had brown eyes and pink cheeks, a blue silk dress, and a white bonnet with orange blossoms in it. She had two pairs of shoes and two pairs of stockings, and she had two wigs, a brown and a flaxen one. All her clothes took off and on, and there was a complete change of them. I saw her first at a bazaar, and longed to possess her, but her price was two guineas, and no hope mingled with my longing. Here let me make a confession. I had never really loved a doll. My affections up to that time had been lavished on a black-and-white spotted penny rabbit, bought at a Kentish fair. But when I saw Renée, it seemed to me that if I could love a doll, this would be the one. We were at Pau then, in a select boarding-house. I was bored with travel, as I believe all children are. So large a part of a child's life is made up of little familiar playthings and objects. It has little of that historic and artistic sense, which lends colour and delight to travel. I was tired of wandering about, and glad to think we were to stay in Pau for the winter. The bazaar pleased me. It was got up by the English residents, and their fancy-work was the fancy-work of the church bazaars in England, and I felt at home among it. And when my eyes rested on Renée, I saw the most delightful object I had seen for many weeks. I looked and longed, and longed and looked. And then suddenly, in a moment, one of the great good fortunes of my life happened to me. The beautiful doll was put up to be raffled, and my sister won her. I trembled with joy as she and her wardrobe were put into my hands. I took her home. I dressed and undressed her twenty times a day. I made her play the part of heroine in all my favourite stories. I told her fairy tales, and took her to bed with me at night for company. But I never loved her. I have never been able to love a doll in my life. My mother came to me the next day, as I was changing Renée's wig, and said, "'Don't you think it's almost time that you began to have some lessons again? I don't want my little girl to grow up quite ignorant. You wouldn't like that yourself, would you?' "'I don't know,' I said doubtfully, feeling that ignorance in a grown-up state was surely to be preferred to a return to Stamford and long division. "'I am not going to send you to school,' my mother hastened to add, doubtless seeing the cloud that gathered in my face. "'I know a French lady here who has a little girl about your age, and she says that you can go and live with her for a little while and learn French.' "'Is she a nice little girl?' I asked. "'What is she like?' "'Well, she's rather like your new doll,' my mother laughed, "'when it has the flaxen wig on. Think how nice it will be to write letters home in French.' I knew Miss hmm, could not write letters in French, and the prospect of crushing her with my new literary attainment filled my wicked little heart. "'I should like to go and live with a little girl who is like my new dolly,' I said, "'if you will come and see me every day.' So I went, my doll's clothes packed in their little tin trunk. And I stood, stealing shy side-glances at Marguerite, who was certainly very like my doll, while my mother and her mother were exchanging last civilities. 
I was so pleased with the new surroundings, the very French interior, the excitement of being received as a member by a real French family, that I forgot to cry till the wheels of my mother's carriage had rolled away from the door. Then I was left, a little English child, without a word of French, in the bosom of a French family, and as this came upon me I burst into a flood of tears. Madame Lord could speak no English, but she knew the universal language, the language of love and kindness. She drew me to her ample lap, wiped my eyes, smiled at me, and chattered volubly in her own tongue, words whose sense was dead to me, but whose tone breathed of tenderness and sympathy. By the time Mademoiselle Lord, the only English-speaking member of the family, came home from her daily round of teaching, Marguerite and I were unpacking my doll's clothes together, and were laughing at our vain efforts to understand each other. I learned French in three months. All day I was with Madame Lord or Marguerite, neither of whom knew a word of English. It was French or silence, and any healthy child would have chosen French as I did. They were three happy months. I adored Marguerite, who was, I think, the typical good child of the French story-books. She wore her hair in a little yellow plait down her back. I do not think we ever got into willful mischief. For instance, our starving the cat was quite unintentional. We were playing bandits in a sort of cellar that opened from the triangular courtyard in front of the house, and it occurred to us that Mimi would make an excellent captive princess, so we caught her and put her in a hamper at the end of the cellar and when my mother called to take us home to tea with her, we rushed off and left the poor princess still a prisoner. If we hadn't been out that evening, we must have been reminded of her existence by the search for her, but Madame Lord, failing to find the cat, concluded that she must have run away, or met with an accident, and did not mention the matter to us out of consideration for our feelings, so that it was not until two nights later that I started up in bed about midnight, and pulled Marguerite's yellow pigtail wildly. "'Oh, Marguerite!' I cried. "'Poor Mimi!' I had to pull at the pigtail as though it was a bell-rope, and I had pulled three times before I could get Marguerite to understand what was the matter with me. Then she sat up in bed, rigid with a great purpose. "'We must go down and fetch her,' she said. It was winter. The snow was on the ground. Marguerite thoughtfully put on her shoes and her dressing-gown, but I, with some vague recollection of barefooted pilgrims, and some wild desire to make expiation for my crime, went down barefooted in my nightgown. The crime of forgetting a cat for three days was well paid for by that expedition. We crept through the house like little shivering mice, across the courtyard thinly sprinkled with snow, and into that awful black yawning cellar where nameless horrors lurked behind each bit of shapeless lumber, ready to leap out upon us as we passed. Marguerite did not share my terrors. She only remarked that it was very cold and that we must make haste. We opened the hamper, fully expecting to find the captive dead, and my heart gave a leap of delight when, as we raised the lid, the large white Mimi crept out and began to rub herself against us with joyous purrings. I remember so well the feeling of her soft, warm fur against my cold little legs. I caught the cat in my arms, and as I turned to go back to the house, 
My half-frozen foot struck against something on the floor. It felt silky. I picked it up. It was Renée. She had also been a captive princess in our game of bandits. She also had been shut up here all this time, and I had never missed her. We took the cat and the doll back to bed with us, and tried to get warm again. Marguerite was soon asleep, but I lay awake for a long time, kissing and crying over the ill-used cat. I didn't get up again for a fortnight. My barefooted pilgrimage cost me a frightful cold, and the loss of several children's parties to which we had been invited. Marguerite, throughout my illness, behaved like an angel. I only remember one occasion on which I quarrelled with her. It was on the subject of dress. We were going to a children's party, and my best blue silk was put out for me to wear. "'I wish you wouldn't wear that,' said Marguerite, hesitatingly. "'It makes my grey cashmere look so old.' Now I had nothing else to wear but a brown frock which I hated. "'Never mind,' I said, hypocritically. "'It's better to be good than smart. Everybody says so.' And I put on my blue silk. When I was dressed, I pranced off to the kitchen, to show my finery to the cook, and under her admiring eyes executed my best curtsy. It began, of course, by drawing the right foot back. It ended in a tub of clothes and water that was standing just behind me. I floundered out somehow, and my first thought was how funny I must have looked, and in another moment I should have burst out laughing. But as I scrambled out I saw Marguerite in the doorway smiling triumphantly, and heard her thin little voice say, the blue silk can't mock the poor grey cashmere now. An impulse of blind fury came upon me. I caught Marguerite by her little shoulders, and before the cook could interfere I had ducked her head first into the tub of linen. Madame Lord behaved beautifully. She appeared on the scene at this moment, and, impartial as ever, she slapped us both. But when she heard from the cook the rights of the story, my sentence was bed. But Marguerite, said her mother, has been punished enough for an unkind word. And Marguerite was indeed sobbing bitterly, while I was dry-eyed and still furious. She can't go, I cried. She hasn't got a dress. You have spoilt her dress, said Madame Lord coolly. The least you can do is to lend her your brown one. And that excellent woman actually had the courage to send her own daughter to a party in my dress, an exquisite punishment to us both. Marguerite came to my bedside that night. She had taken off the brown dress, and wore her little flannel dressing-gown. "'You're not cross now, are you?' she said. "'I did beg mother to let you come, and I've not enjoyed myself a bit, and I've brought you this from the party.' It was a beautiful little model of a coffee-mill made in sugar. My resentment could not withstand this peace-offering. I never quarrelled with Marguerite again, and when my mother sent for me to join her at Banuray, I wept as bitterly at leaving Madame Lord as I had done at being left with her. "'Cheer up, my darling, my cabbage,' said the dear woman, as the tears stood in her own little grey eyes. "'I have an instinct, a presentiment, which tells me we shall meet again.' But we never have. End of part six.